this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Did you know that who you see yourself as will determine what you do and how you turn out? If you identify yourself, say, as a doubter, well, you're going to be consistently doubting. However, if you identify yourself as a believer, you're going to be able to believe God. Doubt is such a destructive attitude. It literally neutralizes the spiritual weapons that God has given you. That is your prayers, your Bible reading, your godly actions. All of these are neutralized with doubt. But believing, on the other hand, it empowers you. It gives wings to your prayers. It builds hope in you so that you can run towards your problems instead of running away from them. It causes your impossibilities to miraculously get solved. It gets you up every morning with hope and with God's energy and strength. I don't know about you, but I want to be a believer. We're going to look at the life of Jonathan, or at least a piece, a story of the life of Jonathan, I should say, who is a believer and compare and contrast him against his father, Saul, who is the king of Israel, who is a certified doubter. And you're going to see the outcomes of their two distinct identities. I can't wait for you to hear this inspiring study on the difference between a doubter and a believer. Let's uh, let's just jump into this. We've been talking about believing. Uh, Actually, we've been talking about doubting. And the opposite of doubting is believing. And I want to address this today, the difference between a doubter and a believer the difference between a doubter and a believer now you you can get into trouble here when you start talking about doubting and believing versus being a doubter and being a believer all right because when you start talking about your identity you can start feeling bad about yourself and say oh i'm a doubter i'll never i'll never be anything more than a doubter So it's dangerous for me to have this. Maybe it's not up here yet. It's dangerous for me to have this up here saying the difference between a doubter and a believer because God wants to make you. He doesn't want to just have you believe. He wants to make you a believer. If that's your identity, you will naturally do what your identity has you do. And so don't feel condemned. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you think of yourself, I'm a doubter. Don't feel condemned about yourself. Just start taking the steps that we look at today to become who you want to be. Don't let your past define what your future you is going to be. Does that make sense? But either way, despite that, we need to look today at the difference between a certified doubter and a certified believer, realizing that inside of each and every one of us, there's doubts and there's beliefs And little by little, hopefully with God's help, your believing self will get stronger and stronger and your doubting self will get weaker and weaker and weaker. So don't feel bad if you have doubts. We all do. (laughs) God wants to help us in that respect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for this time together. And uh, Lord, I pray that you take us from from being a doubter to being a believer. Heavenly Father, Lord, when we enter into that new self that's created like Jesus to to be a godly person, a godly man, a godly woman, Lord, it's wonderful. It's wonderful because the doubts, the shadow of those doubts begins to dissipate, begins to disappear. 
begins to, uh, to, to go up like a wisp of smoke. It disappears, Lord God, and we become, we emerge as a strong believer, a strong believer. So God, help us to look at these lessons that we're sharing today, Lord God, from the life of Jonathan, Lord Jesus, who was a believer, but unfortunately had a dad, King Saul, who was a doubter. Lord, help us to compare and contrast these two. And Lord, come out on the winning side. Come out on the believing side. And we thank you, Jesus, for it. Amen. You're recording, right, Kyle? Okay, cool. All right. The difference between a believer and a doubter. Let's look at 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 13, verse 16, and read through most, if not all, of 1 Samuel 14. Man, I tell you what, hang on to your seats. Hang on to the, your seats because this is powerful stuff. This is life-changing stuff that I've been wanting to share with you for actually three or four months now, two or three months. First Samuel 13, verse 16, we're going to start off with this, this story of Saul and Jonathan. Now, remember King Saul. He was the first king of Israel, first king of Israel. And his son, who was to be king after him, never became king after him. One way or another, this guy was a powerful believer. Prince Jonathan. Here we go in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 13. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gebeah in Benjamin, where the Philistines, now remember the Philistines were the arch enemies of the Israelites. They were the arch enemies of the Israelites. While the Philistines were camping um, at Michmash. Now we're gonna we're gonna talk about Michmash. This is an interesting place. Actually, the outskirts of Michmash are a very interesting place. If you get online and look at it, you'll see the 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 nature of this. So we're gonna talk about the landscape of Michmash here in just a second. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. So the Philistines broke their armies into three pieces, three different detachments. One turned one way. Another one went another way, and a third one went another way. I never can pronounce these Hebrew words. That's why I didn't even try to, to, to go through this right now. There's three detachments, went three different areas. Now look at this. Here's an interesting detail. Verse 19, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. Who does it sound like had the upper hand in this time of Israel? Philistines, right? They wouldn't even let the Israelites have a blacksmith in their country. Now, Israel was far bigger than the Philistines. And next week, we're going to be getting into victimization. Don't be a victim anymore. The Israelites were being victims. They were bigger than the Philistines, and yet they let these little nuisance Philistines keep them from having blacksmiths. It'd be like us not allowing, not being allowed in the United States to build tanks and guns and all the things to equip our army and our air force and our navy. It'd be just like that. It'd be like a foreign, foreign entity coming in much smaller than us and saying, uh-uh, you can't build your weapons anymore. That's how foolish this situation had gotten to be, and yet Israel allowed it to happen. Not a blacksmith found in all the land of Israel. And this is what the enemy does to you and me, all right? With Jesus inside of you, you're bigger than the devil. And he coaxes you and says, oh, don't go to church this Sunday. Don't call in on Wednesday night. Don't call in on Sunday night. Don't go 
to that church service. He coaxes you so that you don't have a blacksmith in you to create the weapons that you need to defend yourself. Go ahead, starve yourself. Don't get in church. Don't let, don't receive from God anymore. And little by little, you start shriveling up and the devil gets the upper hand in your life. He coaxes you to say, I'm too busy to read my Bible today. And then the next day and then the following day. And before you know it, you're weak and subject to his influence in your life, to depression, to anger, to frustration, to sickness, to whatever it is. God doesn't want you to be weak. And guess what? You don't have to be weak anymore. It's up to you to say, you know what? You're not going to take my my weapon making ability out of me. No way. I'm not going to allow that to happen. So in verse 20, so in all of Israel, they would literally go down to their enemies, to the Philistines, to have their plow points, their mattocks, their axes, their sickles sharpened. They went to their enemy to get their necessities taken care of. You can't afford that. You go to God to get your necessities taken care of. I remember once talking to a very good friend of mine. He was in a very toxic relationship. And as we were talking about things, uh, he said, you know what? I just, I can't get out of this toxic relationship because if I do, who will I have to turn to? Who, who, who will be there for me whenever I get old? <laughs> you know, I talked at length to him. The devil wants you to be a victim to your circumstance. We're going to talk about it next Sunday. I encourage you all to be here next Sunday or call in. I encourage you to be here. You know what? We need to get to the place where we're not. God's protecting us. We go to Walmart. We go here. We go there. Surely we can go to church. (laughs) Amen. Surely we can go to church. God's protecting us. But I'll tell you what. The enemy wants to whisper in your ear and say, you know, go, go to someone other than God to get your needs taken care of. Don't do that. Go to God first to get your needs taken care of. All right. So they would go to get their, their tools sharpened by the Philistines. So on, listen to this on the day of battle, verse 22 on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son, Jonathan had them not a soul in all of Israel, except for the king and the prince, had weapons on the day of battle. Let me tell you something. One of these days, your day of battle is going to come, and you shouldn't shrink in fear. Oh, no, you're telling me something bad is going to happen. No, I'm telling you, a battle's coming for you to win. Your day of victory is coming, but it's only going to be victorious if you have been preparing yourself for that day of battle. And here we see these poor Israelites, they were unprepared. The day of battle came, and each and every one of us, a day of battle is coming. It's coming. It probably You might even be in a battle right now. Have you been preparing for that battle by three simple things of coming to church and being encouraged, of reading your Bible and being strengthened, of praying and being close to God? Have you been preparing yourself? Now, you might say, Steve, you don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing bad things. Don't forget you can receive from God and receive from the enemy at the same time. Should you do that? No, but it is possible. (laughs) Don't, Don't cut God off simply because you're doing bad things. Did you hear me? Don't cut God off simply because you feel like you're a bad person. 
Go ahead and receive from God, even if you're messing up. Receive from God, and he's going to start flushing out all the stuff that you can't get rid of on your own. That's a lesson that has changed my life. Don't stop receiving from God just because you feel condemned or bad about yourself. All right, so here's the day of battle comes. Uh, Only Saul and Jonathan have weapons. How on earth did Israel get to this place of being so victimized by their enemy? Well, it all started with doubt. It all started with doubt. King Saul, just maybe months before, had had been instructed by the prophet Samuel to say, wait, wait for me to come to pray for you before you enter into this battle. It happened months, maybe years before, but not too, too long before. And Saul had been there with his armies around him. They were getting ready to fight the Philistines. Samuel didn't show up. He didn't. The prophet Samuel didn't show up, didn't show up. Finally, Saul offered the sacrifice himself. He doubted the Lord and he did it himself. And his doubt led to the situation that Israel was in. Don't let your doubt get you into a pickle. Don't let it do it. Say, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm not a doubter. Because if you will believe, good things will happen for you and to you. If you doubt, bad things are going to happen to you and for you as well. Let's get rid of the doubt. Let's be a Jonathan, not a Saul, as we'll see here. Doubt will steal your spiritual weapons. They will, it will steal your spiritual weapons. So let's read on here. The last verse in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, it says, Now a detachment, one of those three detachments that we were talking about, of the Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. Okay, so I looked up this pass at Michmash, and what, what they were were canyons. Here's the town of Michmash, and there's all these little canyons that kind of go out. They're like gulches, and, and they're anywhere from 8 to 10 stories high. So it's not just a little, you know, a uh, little canyon. It's a big canyon, eight to ten stories high. And this place of Michmash was actually a pretty safe place because when armies would come to attack, they had to go down the canyon and up the canyon to, to get there to be able to attack. So it was really a, a, a fairly well-protected place. But these Philistines knew this. So this pass out of Michmash is where the people would come and go into Michmash. They were on one side of the canyon, and on the other side of Canyon, anybody walking through was an open target. That's, that's the kind of the, the picture that I want to draw here. So these Philistines were occupying both sides of the, of the Canyon. Second Samuel 14, let's keep reading. Now we're going to start finding out more about Jonathan. I love, I love, love, love Jonathan. It says, one day, <laughs> one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Let's get up from where we're at, from our little secure spot here, and let's go over to a less secure spot to where our enemy is. How many of you, what do you do when you have a problem? Do you go face it or do you go hide from it? What do you do when you have an impossibility? Does it paralyze you or does it empower you? Praise God, I'll tell you what, our problems should empower us. I've learned, I've learned this at work. I, I actually like problems at work. Because you know what, I, I look around at all my coworkers, nobody's willing to lift a finger to go solve the problem. You know what's kept me employed? I go chase problems all the time. 
<laughs> I go to try to fix problems all the time. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just telling you, as Christians, we should face our problems, confront them in prayer, in reading the word of God, in getting down on our knees and seeking the Lord. God wants to move your mountains, but he's not going to move them until you start standing up and stop being lazy and weak and, oh, I can't do it. And it's too hard. I don't have enough time. You know what our number one thing is with the Lord? I don't have enough time. And the reality is we got, we got all the time in the world. You've got all the time in the world. You've got everything that you need at your resource, at your fingertips to do what you need to do in this life. The only thing that's missing is us standing up and saying, I'm going to go attack my problem. Now, we don't do it aggressively. You know, if, if you're getting in a fight with, your, with your, uh, your mother or friend or whatever, I'm not saying you go and just attack them. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying with wisdom. With, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, go confront your problem and believe God to take care of it and stop hiding from it. So this is what Jonathan did. He said, one day, one day he got up. You know, when is going to be one year one day? It, wasn't a, it may have been a Monday. It may have been a Sunday. It may have been, may have been on his birthday or Christmas. I don't know. But one of these days, you and me, we're going to get up the guts and we're going to go face our problems. So one day it happened. He said, come, let's go over to the Philistines. And, uh, you know, you know, you know what a believing attitude does? <laughs> it goes, like I said, straight at this problem. You don't ignore your problems anymore. You don't avoid them. You just victoriously confront them, victoriously confront them. You cross over into enemy, enemy territory. The Bible talks about the church. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus. Well, that's only if the church starts going towards the gates of hell. All right, we got to get close to the gates of hell for us, for them not to prevail against us. We need to go after people. Man, pray for people. Don't give up on people. We're in this for our lifetime together. And we're going to pray. I'll never forget, there's a, a loved one of mine that's, uh, you know, been a challenge. <laughs> prayed for this person i never forget standing there in my the front door of my house about to walk out and i thought to myself i'm giving up on this person they're never going to change and the holy spirit rose up in me and said steve you never ever give up on this person i've given you faith for a reason and now years years later we're starting to see this person turn around awesome man praise god so if god's laid somebody on your heart you're in it with them for a lifetime for a lifetime praise god so jonathan notice this uh at the end of this verse here at uh, verse one of, of chapter 14 he says he didn't tell his father jonathan said to his armor bearer let's go let's head out but he didn't tell his father the king now why wouldn't jonathan have not told his father well as we see his father was a doubter and when you go take the challenge to believe to do to take action don't take any doubters with you. Don't take any negative people with you. You know what? Cut your ties with negative people. Notice this was his very own father. He didn't even tell his father. He went and did what he needed to do because he knew if he told his father, all he'd get is a bunch of negativity in his ear. So sometimes it's time for us to get up. You don't tell anybody. You just go do what God has told you to do. Go believe God on your own if you have to. Saul, though, stayed on the outskirts of Gebeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. The king of Israel on the outskirts under a pomegranate tree, not in a palace, not 
not in thrones, not secure, not stable as a king. No, he was on the outskirts. And let me tell you what, if you doubt, you will always be on the outskirts and never in the middle of God's will. If you'll believe, though, you'll be in the fiery middle of God's will, seeing miracles happening left and right. Don't be a doubter. Be a believer. Praise God. So, yeah, negativity and doubt will always keep you on the outskirts, quick to bring down others. If you doubt, everybody around you is going to be a doubter as well. That's easy. The Psalms 1, it talks about, I'm not going to walk in, I'm going to see if I can get this right. I'm not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked. I'm not going to stand in the way of sinners, and I'm not going to sit in the seat of scoffers. You know what a scoffer is? It's a doubter. It says, I couldn't do it, and I'm going to watch everybody around me fail as well. I'm not going to sit in that seat. I'm going to get up out of that seat, and I'm going to walk in the ways of the Lord. You see here, Saul, he stayed in the outskirts. In other words, he didn't advance. He was inert. You know what inert means? It's where you stopped. You don't move forward. You're inert. You stop. The, the man or woman of God doesn't stop. They keep moving forward in Jesus. They keep moving upward in Jesus. Did you know if you'll just point your face up towards God, you'll start moving up? That's what a plane does. It's attitude. The attitude of a plane determines where that plane is going to go. If you will just point your nose up, <laughs> point your face up towards Jesus, you will start going up. You'll start being elevated spiritually. Your life will start turning around. Where? Let me ask you, think about this just for a second. Where have you been looking lately? Or what have you been looking at lately? If it's not Jesus, you're headed down. You're headed down. But if you will look at Jesus, he will start causing you to rise up out of the pit that you may find yourself in. Now look at this. There's Jonathan and his armor bearer. Um, I don't know if we've come across this yet, but there were 600 men with Saul and only two men were believers. Only two men. Jonathan said, all right, he looked around. Oh, my armor bearer, he's pretty, he's pretty stable. He's a believer. Hey, you and me, let's go. Hey, let me tell you what. A church can be full of doubters. You can be a Christian and a doubter. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a Christian and a believer. And I want, I'm glad for our church, man. I look around and I see believers. I see people who are strong in the Lord. Let me tell you what. That's why we're hanging together. That's why we've gotten through this whole COVID thing is because we believe and we hold on to each other. We work with each other. We work together. And that's what that's what uh, Jonathan did with his armor bearer. In verse 3, among them, okay, so, so let's just recap just really quick. In verse 2, Saul's staying in the outskirts. He has 600 men with him. Verse 3, among those 600 men was this guy named was uh, Ahijah who was wearing the ephod, so he was a priest, apparently. He was among the, the sons of Ichabod, brother of so-and-so, and someone else. Yes, he was a priest, the Lord's priest. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, let's pick this one apart just very quickly. You know what? When you're going through a hard time, don't confuse your religious relics with a true relationship with Jesus. Don't say, you know, here's Saul. He's got, oh, look, I've got a priest with me. Thank goodness. All right. And he asked the priest uh, to do some things for him. But don't confuse and don't, you know, Christians can be very superstitious. They can start thinking, you know what, if I pay my tithes every Sunday, if I, if I go to church, if, if you know, I, I know the pastor, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm safe. 
don't let let your religious relics and your superstitions lead you to believe that that's more important than a simple walk with Jesus. When was the last time you talked to Jesus and listened to Jesus and spent some time just walking and talking with him? Relationship is everything. Religion is nothing. In fact, religious religion is it's just a waste. It's a waste. We're not here to be religious. We're here to walk with Jesus. But it here says here also that when Jonathan left, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Isn't that something? No one was aware. You know what? When you shut off the positive in your life, you shut off what Jesus is telling in your life, little by little, you're not going to notice when, that Jesus isn't even talking to you anymore. You, you don't miss his voice anymore. You don't miss that still, small voice where, where God is constantly encouraging, constantly prompting you. If you're always listening to doubt, you're not going to miss the lack of God's voice in your life. We can't ever, ever get to that place. So in verse 4, on each side of the pass, remember this canyon that we were talking about that where the Philistines were occupying both sides. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. So there's a cliff on either side because it's a canyon. One was called Bozes and the other one was Sene, if I'm pronouncing these right. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash and the other stood towards the south towards Gebeah. And I want to just pause. Anyway, I was thinking about this this morning as I was just getting kind of ready. You know what? Christians, as Christians, we're often walking through canyons and we look up, we look up at, at where the level ground is. Say you're in the Grand Canyon. You look up and you see these high cliffs and you think, I can never get there. I can never get up to that place. And you know what? Can I tell you what? The reality is we're walking through canyons when we should actually walk, be walking at those elevated places. And it's all perspective. It's all relative. We think we're so low. And God's saying, no, I want to place you up there. You shouldn't be down in that canyon anymore. I want to pull you up to the place where I intended you to be all along. Have you allowed yourself to get down into a pit, into a canyon? All you have to do is three things. They're all relationship with Jesus. Read your Bible. <laughs> Pray. Come to church. Not as religious habits, but as relational ways of getting close to God Almighty. And God's going to place you up there on that, that place. But here we are with Jonathan. He's walking through these canyons, or he's going towards this canyon where he knows there's Philistines. And, uh, and Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Come. Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. And I want you to look at these, this statement here. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, you know, one thing is crossing over to the other side, getting into enemy territory. But the other thing is to go straight up to the outpost. <laughs> Jonathan wasn't giving this lip service. He was giving it he was giving it action, giving it feet. And I want you to give your confrontation of the enemy some feet this week. Go towards your enemy in prayer, in in belief, not in doubt, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jonathan was one of two people, you know, without a sword, 
there's two guys and only one of them his armor bearer was carrying the sword actually Jonathan wasn't even carrying his own sword all right but you know what here's what I find from this is Jonathan didn't consider the odds the odds were disproportionately stacked against Jonathan but Jonathan didn't let that stop him all right those people you're worried about might be smarter than you. They might have more experience than you. They might be more articulate and argue with you better. It doesn't matter. You go with the power of Jesus, and you're going to be unstoppable. Believers don't consider the odds. They just believe God because they realize with God, all the odds are on their side, even though visually it might look different. So this believer talk that, that we see Jonathan talking here when he says, Let's go over to this outpost, this believer talk where he says, perhaps God will do something on our, on our, our behalf. What's another word for perhaps? Well, the word is maybe, suppose. Here's a good one that I hear at work all the time. What if? They're always telling us, do what if analysis. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if the other? What if? Now, how do we use these words for us all the time? Well, if somebody gets sick, the first thought that crosses our mind is, what if they die? All right. Or we look at our bank account and we say, what if I lose my house? Or what if I lose my car? What if, what if, what if, what if? Look at how John, hey John, Jonathan uses this word, what if. He says, what if God acts on our behalf, though? It's a totally different switch of looking at things. What if God heals you? What if God gets you to where you're totally debt-free? What if your whole family gets saved? What if your retirement is secure in Jesus and you don't have to worry about it anymore? What if you started reading your Bible all the time and getting full of Jesus all the time? What if God answered your wildest dreams and blessed you beyond your wildest imaginations? What if you walked so closely to Jesus that you could never be separated again? You see, a believer talk, you can still use what if, but use it in a powerful, life-changing way. So this is what he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. You know what? Get up every morning and say, what if God just does something powerful today? What if he just blows me away? What if he takes care of all my worries and concerns? You'll stop worrying if you do that because you'll be focused on what if God acts instead of, you know, some act of random acts, something happens to you. God has always come through for you anyway. So why are we saying anything other than what if God does it? What if God does it? You know, faith, I said this last Sunday, faith is a noun. Faith is a noun but it's really meant to be a verb. That's why we use the word believe. Faith is a noun. Believe is action. It's a verb. It's a go get them, go do it. There's, in fact, there's two main verbs that I can think of for faith. It's believing and trusting. They're actions. They're active. They're the way that you, they're attitudes. They're things that you can adopt. Faith is a noun. And so we need to get to the place where we're just believing God, man. We're trusting in God. It's an action. It's a way of living from here on out. I love this, 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 <laughs> this part of the verse, though. It says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. I was praying for someone this week, 
and I was praying, God, save this person. And there was a little doubt in my mind. Like, oh, what if the person doesn't react? What if they don't listen to God? What if they turn their back on God? What if they don't respond to God? And that doubt, did you hear me just now? What if, what if, what if? That was accidental. It just popped out just now. That's the way we think as doubters. All right, what if this, what if that? You know what? This word, this, this verse says here, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. And I want you, I wish I had mentioned some names, but I don't want to do this. People that we pray for, you know who we're talking about. Think of the people you're praying for on Wednesday nights that we pray for. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving that person. Now, if that's not encouraging, I mean, that is powerful if you're a parent or a grandparent. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, period. And you need to take verses, scriptures from the Bible, and take those straight out as just phrases and start praying those, believing those, those phrases out of scripture that are so powerful. Nothing could could hinder the healing of Maggie. Nothing could hinder it. Nothing could hinder Maggie from being healed. Amen? Nothing could hinder her son Tommy from being saved before he passed away. Nothing could hinder it. Why? Because we were praying. We were believing God. Amen? Nothing uh, could, could hinder Nadia's healing from stage 3 cancer. Nothing could hinder it. God can't nothing can hinder our God you know what if you look at your future as a young younger person you look at your future and you say oh man I, I how can I ever get to where I want to be God says nothing can hinder me from getting you there nothing can hinder me from getting you to where you need to be he can save with many or with few praise God again believers don't look at the odds because God doesn't look at the odds. If God isn't looking at the odds, then you don't look at the odds either. A believer simply looks at, at God, and a doubter, unfortunately, looks at their own limitations. So if you're doubting, you can automatically know that you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking inside of you. You're looking at the, the, the limitations around you. As soon as you start looking to God, all the doubt just melts away. It starts evaporating. All right, in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 14, uh, the armor bearer says back to Jonathan, do everything that you in mind have in mind. Go ahead. I'm with you heart and soul. That's the, we all need armor bearers, right? That means we need each other. We carry the weapons for each other. Whenever you're down, give me a call. Whenever I'm down, I give you a call. That's what armor bearers do, and we are armor bearers for one another. They hang out together. And let me tell you what, I found this in church over and over again. As people refuse to believe, they don't, they don't like being here because we're going to talk about faith here. We're going to talk about what God can do here. We're not going to be limited by what humanity has to limit us with. And so sometimes people come in, they, they stay for a little while, but as soon as they hear that faith and you need to stand up in the Lord, you need to believe, you know what, they don't like that, and they just walk on out it, it's tragic because this is the most powerful empowering way to live is with faith in jesus believing god trusting god and so here we see jonathan surrounding himself with one person <laughs> his armor bearer so if you're a soldier in the barracks 
go find another soldier that's a Christian and surround yourself. If you're a student in the dorm dorms, I know we don't have anybody here, but maybe somebody in recordings listening, maybe someday you will be a student in the dorms. Find a Christian and surround yourself with believers. If you're at work, go find out, go find somebody that believe, that's a believer and don't don't fall into the office drama. Stay away from it. Don't get into it. Same with family. Don't fall into family drama. Surround yourself with that one or two uh, family members who believe and stick with them. Stick with them. All right? Let's stay away from negativity, temptation. If you're a student at a high school and now we're starting to kind of come back from being online, find a Bible club. Good grief. Like every high school in El Paso has a Bible club. I encourage every student that's in public high school, go find your Bible club and be a part of it. All right? That's why in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And we learn this in business. Always find somebody that's more advanced than you and hang out with that person so they can pull you up to their level so that you can learn, you can be mentored. Why shouldn't we do that as Christians as well? Find somebody who's closer to Jesus than you are and stick with those people and get and find out what they're doing, all right, so that you can be drawn closer to Jesus as well. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, okay, buddy, come on then. Let's cross over towards them and let them see us. <laughs> I'll tell you what, a believer doesn't stop and they don't hide. Stop hiding from your past. Stop hiding from your hurt. Stop hiding from whatever has happened to you and say, you know, I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going, I'm going onward and I'm going upwards. I'm not going to let this thing drag me back anymore. No, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So verse 9, it said, if, they, uh, if Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, if they say to us, so we're standing here, there's the Philistines, we're about to expose ourselves. If they say, wait there until we come down to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up to us, we'll climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Well, you talk about counterintuitive craziness. Yeah? If they say, come on up, that means they're going to kill us. What are you talking about? But that's not how Jonathan thought. His thinking was different. He was always looking for a sign from God, a sign of victory. Now, I'm not talking a sign like, God, do I do this or do I do that? No, all every day look for signs of victory because God wants to do something powerful for you every day of the week. Look for signs of victory. I mean, good grief. I won't mention names. That's always dangerous. But I talk to you guys and I hear you say, God did this for me today. God did that for me today. And, and those are signs of victory. So acknowledge, appreciate them, recognize that God is doing something good. Those are signals of victory. All right, God just signaled us. Get up. Let's go the next, to the next stage. Amen? So be watching, be listening, be waiting on God. He's going to show you. Just like Elijah. He was a, Elijah was another guy. He's just a believer. He, he squatted down on his, on his knees there in, in, uh, on Mount Carmel. And he said, I hear the sound of a mighty rain. He said, I'm going to wait here until I see it because I know God is going to give me a sign of victory. And eventually, after look, going out and looking seven times, the, a cloud the size of a man's hand came up from the, the ocean. It was a sign, a signal of victory. This week, every one of us, 
we should be looking for a signal of victory. God's going to give it to you. And it inspires your faith. You're willing to go upward and onward with God. So, um, verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. There are two cliffs. They came out from maybe behind a rock or something. And there's these two little puny little guys, you know, about 10 stories high of cliff on either side. They showed themselves. And uh, look, said the Philistines, aha, we've got a couple of grasshoppers down there. The Hebrews are crawling out from the holes they're hiding in. That's how bullies are. How many of you like bullies? All right. Let me tell you what. You as a Christian better never be a bully to anybody in this room. Never be a bully. Don't ever be pushing people around or saying things that would hurt somebody's feelings. That's ungodly. That's ungodly. So there's these bullies. They said, look, they're coming out of their holes. The men on the outpost shouted down to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. All right. Well, that'd scare the pants off of me. I'd go and run, run back the opposite direction, but not Jonathan. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, climb up with me. The Lord has given them into our hands. It's a signal of victory. So they climb up. They climb up this, uh, this, this, these, this cliff on one side. And uh, Jonathan climbs up first using his hands and feet. Clearly doesn't have a weapon in his hand. How could he be climbing with a knife? He'd be a sword. He'd be clipping his nose and cutting his head. All right. His armor bearer is carrying the sword. He comes up. Now, I'd be thinking as soon as I, you know, broach the, that cliff, somebody's going to kick me square in my head and I'm going to go falling back down didn't matter Jonathan goes with his hands and his feet he climbs up and uh, the Philistines as soon as Jonathan peers over the edge the Philistines begin to fall before Jonathan fall before Jonathan you have got the Holy Spirit inside of you if you've asked Jesus into your heart no weapon forged against you is going to prosper. Not a work weapon against you, not a family weapon, not a financial weapon, not a health weapon, not a relationship weapon. Nothing can stand in front of you. John, God told Joshua, every place where you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. But you've got to place your foot. You've got to go. You've got to move in action. You can't be inert. You can't be stopped. You can't be stalled. You can't be paralyzed. Get forward. Get moving in faith in Jesus and believe God. And so these Philistines start falling in front of Jonathan. And uh, believing translates into the power of God entering into the human dimension. And the enemy just starts falling in front of you. The Bible, remember last week, as Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians 1, it says that power is available only to those who believe. If you believe, God's power is available to you and you will see it in action his armor bearer followed him behind him killing those behind him in that first attack jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of a half uh, half an acre all right and, and let me tell you what something about believing god believing god god isn't going to give you some precise plan map it all out for you. you're going to do this then you're going to do that how many planners do we have here are you a planner all right god Faith in God doesn't work with a precise plan. Look, Jonathan got up there and just started going to town. And, and, and God helped Jonathan know what to do and where to go and how to approach this thing. Stop looking for precise plans and planning and scoping your life out perfectly. I guarantee you whatever your plan you come up with is not going to be exactly how God works. God has the plan. We're just following God. 
Does that make sense? Verse 15, when the, then panic struck the whole army and those in the army in the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook, it was a panic sent by God. <laughs> now remember, we got just a couple more minutes here. Remember this, we're talking about what a doubter is versus a believer. Let's go back to the doubter a second. Here's Saul. Saul's outlooks at Gebeah and Benjamin saw the army, the Philistine army, melting away in every direction. So you're standing here, and all these people who are against you, all this, they're melting away. It's a signal from God. When you see your enemy running away from you, I guarantee you that's a signal of victory from God. You don't have to do anything, think anything. You just know, hey, God's on the move here, obviously. He's doing something good. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. Saul is a knucklehead. He's doubting. What does he do? Instead of seeing the signal from God, he says, let's count who we have. Let's see how many we are. Still relying on himself instead of relying on God Almighty. He's doubting. He's looking to see what his odds are, even though he sees the enemy running away from him. When he did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, that priest that was with him, bring the ark of God. All right. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult of the Philistine camp increased more and more. And so Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Listen to this, what doubters do. They always do things backwards. Okay. When you're waiting, you should be praying. But when God starts giving the victory, pursue the enemy but what does Saul do he's so filled with doubt he starts wanting to pray when it's time to advance against his enemy he says bring the ark here we need to find out what we need to do you should have known what to do before the victory started (laughs) spend time preparing with God and God's going to show you what to do so that when the door opens you don't have to fiddle around and wonder is this from you God should I be doing this no you run through that open door because you've been preparing for that open door but instead as doubters we're kicking every other door except for the right one and trying to make things happen ourselves and then when the door opens we're not even standing in front of it if we would spend time seeking God we would be in front of the right door at the right time when it opens and we can walk through confidently without having to spend a lot of time asking for God for wisdom God wants to give you wisdom before the door opens is what I'm trying to say verse 20 Then Saul and his men assembled and went to battle. Finally, they found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. And that's what God does. We've seen this with healing. Cancer starts eating itself. It starts, instead of fighting against the body that it's trying to kill, it starts fighting itself. We've we've heard of this, and medically even, that when you pray, that cancer just starts attacking itself. The enemy just starts fighting itself. The relationships that were pitted against one another, finally they just start fighting each other and they things start taking care of themselves because God gets involved. So uh, those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines, did you hear that? There's a bunch of Israelites that had actually joined the Philistines. They were probably the blacksmiths is my guess. They'd gone over to the Philistines. They were doubting defectors, all right? We're going to have our church filled with doubting defectors, praise God. One of these days, people who have backslidden away from Jesus, they're going to come back. They're going to come back to Jesus. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to accept them with open arms. 
We're going to say God loves you, God bless you, and accept them back in to the kingdom of heaven. Um, They went up and they joined Israel, Samuel and Jonathan. Then all of Israel who had hidden, so there's defectors, and then there were those that were hiding, those doubters that were in hiding, they also came out. They joined in the battle in hot pursuit. So that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Let me end with this, this verse here. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Take, take action on your faith this week. Take action by praying with faith this week. Take action by reading the word and speaking the word this week. God wants to give you a mighty victory this week. You don't have to wait. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. It's mighty. It's powerful. It's like a double-edged sword. Lord Jesus, your word goes out from your mouth and does not return to you empty, but accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, in in cooperation with you, as co-laborers with you, Lord Jesus, that your word would go out powerfully, Lord, and accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Lord, fix complicated work situations. Jesus, fix complicated family situations, oh God. Lord God, solve complicated and difficult financial situations this week, oh God. Lord, help us to be help us to consent to be carried by you this week. Instead of striving, instead of trying to do things on our own, instead of relying on our own strength and our own odds, Lord Jesus, help us to begin to walk with you, Lord, to allow you to carry us to victory to carry us to victory. Help us to stop knocking on every door we see, Lord, and and pause.